continuing in our series, uh, surveying the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, God's story, our story. This morning, we look at Genesis chapter 15, all of it. Next week, we will be looking at Genesis chapter 22 as we wrap up our story of Abraham that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. So if you're reading ahead or preparing for next week's sermon, uh, we'll be looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. This morning, we continue to look at the story of Abraham, a man that is still struggling with doubts and fears. And it's in the midst of those doubts and fears that God appears to him in the most peculiar of fashion. If you haven't read Genesis 15, or maybe it's been a while since you've read Genesis 15, I want to prepare you. It's one of the most obscure and peculiar passages in all of the scriptures. And after we read it this morning, you might be wondering to yourself, how in the world is this relevant to me? But it's my prayer and my hope this morning that after we spend time together in God's word in Genesis 15, that you walk out of here and you say, that is one of the most relevant, most practical, most necessary passages that I have ever read in my life. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 21. After these things, the word of God came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and accounted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, and he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with a great possession. And for you, you shall go into your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete and when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces and on that day the Lord made covenant with Abram saying to your offspring I give this land from the river of the Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites the Rephaim 
the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgasites, and the Jebusites. And on this Lord's Day, may we be reminded that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, even difficult words like these, they stand forever. Amen. Many have said that this passage, Genesis 15, gives us the clearest picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. Some have gone as far to say that Genesis 15 gives us the clearest picture of the gospel in all of Scripture. R.C. Sproul at a Q&A at Ligonier Conference, the late R.C. Sproul author and teacher and theologian, when asked what his favorite passage was in all of the Bible, he said, Genesis 15. I remember being there live thinking of all the passages in the Bible, this is your favorite one? And then he began to explain Genesis 15 and never forget that day, my eyes being opened to the glory and the beauty of the passage that we just read. You see, Genesis 15, for all of its obscure details and the peculiar nature of the sacrifice and the cutting and the covenant and the flame and the smoking pot walking through the two pieces. Ultimately, what Genesis 15 teaches us is this, that God is not only the ultimate promise maker, but Genesis 15 teaches us that God is without a shadow of a doubt the great and ultimate promise keeper. I want to briefly break down this passage into two parts. Briefly this morning. A promise made and a promise guaranteed. Genesis 15, a promise made and a promise guaranteed. The first part, a promise made. We see it in Genesis 15 verses 1 through 7, a promise made. And the passage opens up with a vision. This is what is known as a theophany. It's a vision of God to Abraham. And God appears to Abraham and the first words are, fear not. Why would God need to say fear not in the opening words of this passage? Well, we have to remember the context. The story of Abraham, if you've been here the last few weeks, does not begin in 15, but it begins in chapter 12, actually the end of chapter 11, going into chapter 12. Actually, verse 7 here in chapter 15 referenced the beginning of the story of Abraham. Look at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember, Genesis 12 is where the story of Abraham begins. And this is what has happened so far and helps us to understand why God needs to appear to Abraham and announce him to fear not. So Abraham, here's the call of God. Abraham is living in a pagan land amongst pagan people in this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And God says to Abraham, leave, even if it means leaving yourself. Leave your land and your father's house because I will give you a new land and a new name and I will give you offspring. Even though he turns and he sees that his wife is barren, Abram believes and he trusts and he follows God that in the midst of barrenness and in the midst of a land that he was very content in, he follows God's lead. And this is what happens. He eventually takes his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot, and they head to the promised land 
But then all of a sudden we read that there's severe famine in the land. And so they divert and they go down to Egypt. But when they go to Egypt, they're afraid of the Pharaoh. And so Abraham comes with the, not the most smartest idea in the world. He looks to Sarah and he says, pretend you're my sister so they won't kill us so we can make it out alive. They suffer through war. Lot is taken, his nephew, as a slave. Lot is eventually rescued. Abraham eventually sees the defeat of the pagan kings around, surrounding him. But here's the reality of Genesis 15. Abraham is still sitting here, and he still has no child. He's defeated all of these pagan kings, and he is worried for his life. Surrounded by the enemy, he is still not in the land that God has promised. He still has no child and he is sitting there thinking to himself, God, I don't know if I can take any more. And it's in that context where God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, fear not, for I will be your reward. And what God does here is he reiterates the promise that was made in Genesis 12. In verse 5 and verse 7, he reiterates the promise and makes the promise again with Abraham. There's two promises. There's two parts to this reward that God promises Abraham. Offspring and land. Your wife is barren, but I will bring offspring. You've left the land that you thought was the land of promise, but I will send you into a new land, a better land, the land flowing of milk and honey. And these are the two promises. In verse 5 and verse 7, he reminds Abraham that he is still committed to these promises. And this is what happens. God makes the promise to Abraham. And what do we read in verse 6? Abraham believes. And it says in verse 6, it is counted to him as righteousness. We see it here that God declares what we would call justification, declares Abraham, although he is guilty of sin, although he is guilty of faithlessness, although he is guilty of disobeying God, God declares him right on the account of his belief in God, that God will provide a son and God will provide a land. And it's by faith that God declares Abraham righteous. Now, just as a side note, Please understand the significance of this verse. We could preach a whole sermon on just this one verse. Verse 6 in chapter 15 is referenced in the New Testament in Romans 4, in Galatians 3, and in James 2. It is referenced in the, by the reformers of the Protestant Reformation as the verse in which our doctrine and our belief of justification, not by works, but by faith alone, stands on. So you could say, if R.C. Sproul was here today, that this is the most important verse and the most important chapter in all of the Bible. So you better underline it and remember it. But just as a side note, there's a lot of confusion in the church, and I think it just, it's so important to recognize it here. There's a lot of confusion even in the church of how people in the Old Testament were saved. A lot of people, rightfully so, believe that we're saved today through one means, through faith in Jesus Christ. But many people 
wrongly assume that the people in the Old Testament, Abraham, were saved either through obedience to the law, obedience to the Ten Commandments, But make no mistake, verse 6 says that the same way we are saved by faith alone is the same way Abraham was saved through faith alone. We look back to the Messiah that came, Jesus the Christ. The Old Testament saints look forward by faith to the promised child of God who would come that would eventually crush the head of the serpent. So important that we understand that Old Testament and New Testament, there is one means of salvation, and that is faith in the promised Messiah. But here God reiterates his promise, a new land and offspring in the midst of doubt. And God says, do not fear, I will still provide. And there's many here this morning that need to hear this good word because you are like Abraham surrounded by doubt and fear and anxiety and God announces to you this morning fear not fear not because I will deliver on my promise but then we see something phenomenal we not only see the God that reiterates his promise to Abraham in giving him offspring and a new nation and a, and a new land. But we see something happen here. We not only see a God make his promise, but we see God guaranteeing his promise. We see the promise guaranteed in verses 9 through 21. Look what happens in verse 8. It is one of the most comforting verses to me. And this is why. After the most significant verse in the Bible, track with me here, Abraham believes, and God says, case closed, you're justified, you're made right. Verse 8 reads what? Look at it with me. O Lord God, how am I to know? Now, if this is me, and Abraham says this, I go, you got to be kidding me. I just declared you righteous. I just said you're justified. Are you kidding me? You're still asking me, how do I know? But thank God that I wasn't there. And thank God that this is how he responds. You see, God does not respond to our constant unbelief. He does not respond to our constant fear. He does not respond to our constant doubting by saying, are you kidding the nerve to question me again. This is what God does. And this is how he guarantees the promise to Abraham and how he guarantees the promise to you in the most spectacular fashion imaginable. It's a phenomenal scene. In verse 9 through 10, this is what he tells him. He says, bring me a heifer, a female goat, and a ram, all three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon, and cut them in half. And this is what's happening here. If you are lost and confused as I was when I heard this passage for the first time. What God is calling Abraham to do is what is known in the ancient world as covenant ratification. And what God is calling Abraham to do is to take these animals, to cut them in half, and to create a path that people would walk through. So you can imagine these animals cut in half and a river of blood running in between them that individuals would walk through. Are you still lost? Well, in our day, we live in a written culture. So you want to have an agreement with somebody? You call an attorney. 
You get a contract drawn up. Here are the terms of the, of the, of the contract. Here are the conditions. You do this and I will do that. You have some witnesses. You sign the bottom line and the attorney is able to, or the judge, able to hold up a piece of paper and say, here are the terms, here are the conditions, here's your name, here's their name. Case closed. We have a wedding in our culture. I stand at the top. I ask the bride to take her vows. I ask the groom to take his vows. What do we do as soon as the ceremony is over? I get what is called a license. I ask the bride to sign it and the groom to sign it. I ask the best man to sign it and the maid of honor to sign it. We get a notary public. We sign it, sign, seal, deliver. So that the bride asked, after taking her vows, what will hold you to your end of the bargain in taking those vows? The bride and the groom can point to the license. The groom says, how can I hold you to keeping your end of the bargain in the vows that you just took? The groom and the bride can look at the license. Well, they didn't live in a written culture. They lived in a storytelling culture. So how they made covenants and contracts with each other was they acted it out. And this is what God is saying to Abraham. Enough talk. You still don't believe? You're still doubting? I'm no longer going to just keep telling you about the promises. I'm going to demonstrate it for you. I'm going to act it out. This was the ancient version of a sermon illustration. God says, no more talk. Let me act it out for you. And this is what they would do. They would cut the animals in half, and the blood would run in between. And both parties would take their turn walking through the pieces, and this is what the parties were announcing. If I break my end of the bargain, may I turn into these animals, cut up, crushed, and destroyed. And both parties would take their turns in ratifying the promise, in ratifying the covenant to each other. And so what God wants to do, he says, I'm not going to no longer talk to you about the promises of God. I am going to guarantee it by demonstrating it for you. And just as a side note, attorneys, I think it'd be a lot easier to show your bloody robe, right? As a sign and seal of the covenant and a piece of paper, right? You just have the bloodied robes. Hey, you walk through the pieces and case is closed. But the Hebrew word here for covenant means to cut. And it's God's way of saying in that moment, I will not only make my promise, but I will guarantee it. And this is what happens. In verse 12, it says the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. It was symbolic of, of death, that God was symbolically putting Abraham down at the, at the darkness of the night. And then in verses 13 through 16, he talks about Abraham and his offspring being strangers in a land for how many years? 400 years. What was God revealing to him? He was revealing to him the pending enslavement by the Egyptians, that you will go through trial, that you will go through tribulation, but do not fear, that do not doubt. But then the most amazing thing happens. In verse 17, look there with me. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. What in the world is Abraham witnessing? The smoking pot and the blazing torch. 
was symbolic in the Old Testament for the presence of God. Whether it is at Mount Sinai or in the wilderness, the smoking pot and the flaming torch, the blazing torch, the fire is symbolic of the presence of God. And you go, so what does that mean? Abraham is witnessing God pronouncing judgment upon himself if he does not hold his end of the bargain. It is God's way of saying, may I turn into these animals, torn apart, crushed, the immortal God becoming mortal. If I do not hold up my end of the bargain, you want to guarantee Abraham, then you will surely receive it. But then the story ends. And if you were following closely, God passing through the pieces is not the most remarkable thing about the passage, as remarkable as that is. Actually, what makes this passage so spectacular and one of the most practical things you could ever learn about your God is actually who doesn't pass through the pieces. You see, in every ceremony, the king would go through the pieces and say, I will hold up my promises to you, the servant. And then the servant would take his turn or her turn to pass through the pieces. And the terms of the servant would be this, that I will forever be faithful and loyal and obedient to you. But the most remarkable thing about this passage is God never asked Abraham to pass through the pieces. And it is the most remarkable thing that Abraham could have ever witnessed. And it's the most remarkable thing that you could ever realize about your God this morning. That in that moment, God declared that as I pass through these pieces alone, not only will I hold up my end of the bargain, but I will hold up your end of the bargain as well. The king enters the covenant alone and says, cursed am I if I do not deliver on my promise, but also cursed am I if you don't deliver on your end of the promise as well. And there we see the clearest picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. That can you imagine the reaction of Abraham as he witnesses the unthinkable, that I have a God that will not only become accursed if he does not deliver on his promise, but I have a God that will become accursed even if I don't deliver on my promise. And centuries later, what would we witness by virtue of the cross? We would witness another man covered in darkness, and on the cross, the very Son of God being forsaken by God the Father, that he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me say this. It's the only religion that presents a God like this, that the King and the King alone takes on your curse. As we close this morning, I want to ask you, what are you fearing right now? 
what is consuming your heart and your mind, maybe even as we sit here? What is the thing that has your stress level to a point where you just cannot bear anymore? What is the thing that keeps you up at night and wakes you up in the morning? So what can you do in light of this passage today in season and moments of doubt and fear and unbelief? You have the freedom and the good news this morning to respond just like Abraham did and cry out to God, maybe even later today, and say, God, I know that you're real and I know where I'm going when I die. But just as Abraham did, he cried out to God and said, how do I know? And know that you have a God that does not say, how dare you ask me that question? But you have a God that takes you over and over again to his word and reveals to you the guarantee of the promise That whether you face trial or tribulation, suffering and doubt, victory or loss in this life and the life to come, God guarantees that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And you have a God this morning, by virtue of Genesis 15, that says, I can't leave you and I cannot forsake you if you are my child. Just as he did to Abraham centuries ago, He reveals himself to you this morning in the person of Jesus Christ as your great reward. So no matter what you have won and no matter what you have lost in life, you are able to say, Jesus, only Jesus is my reward. Can I say something very transparent? That even in my moments in my life as a Christian, I used to hear sermons like this and I used to hear people say, all you need is Jesus. And I go, come on, that's not the real world. You're oversimplifying. You're simplifying tragedy and doubt and fear until I experienced my own tragedy. And then I saw that you could lose everything but truly lose nothing at all if you have Jesus. You see, here is the reality of Jesus this morning. You say you need provision. He says, I am the bread of life. You say you need protection. He says, I'm your good shepherd. You say you need healing. He says, I'm the great physician. You say you need direction. He says, I'm the light of the world. You say you need truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You say you need hope. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He announces to you this morning, all you need is me. General Boykin served our country in the military for 36 years. Served Delta Force for 16 years. A man who surrendered his life to Jesus Christ early in life. Stories of epic rescue and heroism. But one story General Boykin tells in particular is when he rescued a bunch of Christian missionaries from Sudan in the late 80s. And as he was rescuing them, one of the girls said, we want to give you something for rescuing us. But she said these words, but all I got is my Bible. And General Boykin looked at her and said, that's all you need. Listen to me. All you have is Jesus. But that's all you need. 
And could it be this morning that the only thing standing in between you and the life that God has called you to live by faith is the trust in a God who not only makes a promise, but a God who guarantees it even through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Why would you not run to that God this morning and surrender your life to him? Just as God revealed himself to Abraham, he reveals himself to you this morning. And he says, come to me. I provide an anchor that does not falter. I provide an anchor that does not waver. Genesis 15 guarantees it. I pronounce judgment upon myself. That is how committed I am to you. Would you run to Jesus this morning and like Abraham, respond by faith and allow him to be the anchor. Allow him to, alone to be the anchor of your life so that your testimony through the highs and lows of life can be this. All I got is Christ, but that's all I need.